This is Parsha Panorama, and this week's Parsha is Parsha Re'eh, here at the database with Rabbi Yoshua Eisenberg. And as I had mentioned last week, with Parsha Re'eh, Sefer Devarim begins to move in a slightly different direction than it had been going in up until this point. So in order to appreciate the direction of Parsha Re'eh, we will have to just quickly rewind, recap, and talk a little bit about what we've been speaking about till now. And with that, once again, we'll be able to appreciate the direction of Devarim as it continues here in Parshas Re'eh. So, one theme that we had mentioned in previous weeks in Sefer Devarim is that as a Mishnah Torah, which in some senses means a review of the Torah, but we again um, had challenged the simple meaning of that phrase, Uh, Nonetheless, there is an aspect of review, and we see a lot of historical review in Sefer Devarim. And we we had addressed the issues of chronology, the lack of chronological order in Moshe Rabbeinu's recounting of the history, and we had mentioned that apparently there's a larger agenda, which is is evident in what Moshe Rabbeinu um, chooses to speak about from the history, what he doesn't choose to speak about, and the order in which he speaks about things. Apparently, Moshe Benu has a speech, right, given to him through prophecy, communicated in a very humanistic um, way. But that speech is what governs what Moshe Benu is going to talk about. And as historical pieces become relevant, Moshe Benu reviews them. So, Devarim, he spoke a little bit about Har Sinai, leaving Har Sinai, then he jumped all the way to the Meraglim, and then in Va'eschan and Moshe Rabbeinu went back to talk about Har Sinai again, the covenant, the Osiris Adibros. And along the way, there were some new commandments, but a lot of it is mostly Hashkafa, um, mostly Moshe Rabbeinu describing um, through Musr, through admonition, through instruction, general guidelines and guidance. Um, talking us through the things that we need to learn. And so that continued in Parshas Akev. And in Akev, we uh, learned about the Ched HaEgel again, and there, there was a um, discussion about the new Luchos, a reference to the death of Aaron Cohen. And so we had plenty of that. I, and I, I skipped over Vaschanan. I, I mean, I mentioned Vaschanan, but I didn't mention the fact that that was relevant because Moshe Rabbeinu was talking about his his um, induction of Yehoshua to be his successor. But okay, so we, and we were able to get a general understanding of what Moshe Rabbeinu's speech was about, which we had mentioned also is the natural challenge of Sefer Devarim, because if Devarim is mostly one long speech, we want to try to isolate the components of Moshe's speech so we can understand what he's talking about. And so we were able, um, I think, um, hopefully you'll agree, um, that we were able to get a, a fair understanding of what each parsha was about. So Devarim was the general scoping of Moshe Rabbeinu's speech, putting things into place. Ve'aschanan was about the relevance of the old covenant and how it would be relevant moving forward. And a little bit about Moshe Rabbeinu um, dealing with the consequences of his own actions, that he's not going to enter Eretz Yisrael with the Bnei Yisrael. And then with Akev. 
we focused much more heavily on the concept of consequences. We mentioned how consequences was a bookend in Akev, um, no differently than um, the fact that by Vashchanan we had the, the concept of chen appearing at both the end and the beginning of the Parsha. So here in Parsha Sre'eh, we actually have another one of those bookends. We have a, a mitzvah in the beginning or a command in the beginning to see, Re'eh, that I'm placing before you a blessing and a curse. At the very end of the parsha, we have the mitzvah of being seen, yerah. This was something we spoke about in Muslim minutes. If you want to get a better idea of what that was about, so you can go back to the archives just from this week and find Muslim minutes where we talked about the connection between the opening of the parsha, which speaks about seeing, and the end of the parsha, which speaks about being seen. But that said. We are now, I think, just about ready to move on to what Moshe Rabbeinu is doing now. Because now, what we'll notice is that although Moshe Rabbeinu is going to continue to build on themes that he had been um, already discussing until this point, he's going to build on to the blocks uh, for example, the themes of Ahava and Yira, which we said Ahava was was a central focus of Aschanan, even though Yira also appears in Aschanan. And for Parshas Akev as well, we said that the main focus was Yira. Um, and even though there also you'll find the, the theme of Ahava appearing, but if we're looking at the main theme of each one, so Eschanan was Ava, Ekev was Yira. So those two, th- um, those two themes are going to continue to appear here in Parshas Re'eh, but Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be using a bit of a different kind of a backdrop. And that backdrop is not a historical back- backdrop. That has been most of what Devarim um, was. Most of Devarim is in the style of historical review, looking at historical relevance to what the Bnei Yisrael need to know right now. But Re'eh, and this is evident in the word Re'eh, but Re'eh actually is where Moshe Rabbeinu tells them to look towards the future. You, if you'll notice um, from Parshas Akev and backwards, um, one word that we find often is the Lashon of Zechira, Zechor. Remember what happened. Remember this historical piece. Remember when you were in the Midbar, etc., etc., now Moshe Rabbeinu is not telling them to remember anything. In fact, most of the history, if I'm not mistaken, in, par- in Sefer Devarim is done. The only time we're going to come back to history is in Parshas Hazinu, um, a little bit in, in, um, in, and then a little bit in Tzavim Ba'elech. But that point in the Torah is not exactly the same kind of speech as we have now. And we're going to see what the difference is when we get to Hazinu, but it's a very different nature of instruction and, and, admi- and um, admonition. So, barring that end of the Parsha, or at that end of the Sefer, I should say, Moshe Rabbeinu is largely done discussing the history of the Bnei Yisrael, or the history of the Jew. Um, what, what Moshe Rabbeinu is discussing now is actually the destiny. He's focusing on the future. And this is going to manifest itself in some new mitzvahs that we have not heard of before, though we, uh, we understand from Chazal that all the mitzvahs were communicated at Har Sinai, just not all of them were recorded up until this point. Some of them are only going to be introduced to us now. In next week's parasha, we're going to see many, many more. In fact, the, the, the largest, um, the, 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 the biggest number of mitzvahs in a single parasha is going to be next week. Sorry, not next week, in two weeks. Right, next week is Shoftim. Two weeks from now is Kiseitzeh. 
But there are going to be many mitzvahs and shoftim as well, and we're going to have to try to figure out what the what the point of these parshios are as we move forward. But in the meantime, we have this on our minds now, noting that Moshe Rabbeinu is now telling everyone, "Okay, let's look towards the future now. I've already reviewed history with you. Here's what you need to know, and as everything pertains to the future." So that's one theme that we find in Re'eh. Another theme that we find in Re'eh. Um, as we are looking forward towards a new covenant, preparing for that imminent future. So again, we're going to continue to build on the themes that we've spoken about before. But the other themes that I would mention is this, uh, this theme, once again, of re'ia, of seeing. If you go back to Muslim and we spoke about this as well, that the concept of seeing appears many times in the Parsha. For example, um, you'll find the phrase of doing what is... Um, yashar be'ine Hashem. Um, so that phrase is, uh, it comes up several times in Parshas Re'eh, where we're talking about the eyesight of Hashem. Do what's right in God's eyes. And so apparently that's a, that's, that's a theme here, where Moshe Rabbeinu is not telling us to remember the history, but he's actually trying to tell us to, if we could, see if we could imagine what the right thing might be in God's eyes. And Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't just, uh, you know, um, do that without, you know, he, he doesn't just, like, you know, uh, leave us in the dark. Moshe Rabbeinu guides us and says, for example, when it comes to slaughtering carbonos. So he says, do what's right in God's eyes. Don't just make, you know, bring carbon wherever you want, but you have to do it in a very specific place, right? And this is alluding to the fact that in the future, bamos are going to be, considered usr, a private altar, you will not be able to offer a carbon there. So so this idea of using, again, a little bit of our own imagination um, and then applying the halacha with that, you know, with that imagination. I'm not, what I'm not suggesting here is that you could just imagine what something might be and then that would be the halacha, but it's a matter of trying to apply your view your perspective in a way that has halachic intuition. So, in other words, studying the halacha enough so that now you have an understanding of what Ratzon Hashem is. Right? A lot of the times people nowadays, they'll say, oh yeah, God will understand if I do whatever. Or God understands the, the tests that, I, that I'm experiencing. And God obviously does understand that, but that doesn't mean that any person who has an opinion on something, um, that means that that's what God's thinking too. It just doesn't work like that. So doing what's right and straight in God's eyes. Okay, so there, that's, that's another theme that, that comes up here. And another theme that I mentioned um, when it comes to um, Bamos, so there are two more themes that I would say are not separate themes, but you, if, you don't, you know, if you're not thinking so much about it, you might think they're separate themes. But we're going to learn about the centrality of the Beis HaMikdash, of Yerushalayim. The Makom Asher Yivchar is referenced a few times in this parsha, And the, 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 also the, I guess anti-campaign, or the campaign against Avodah Zarah. There's going to be a lot of discussion about what your encounters with Avodah Zarah and supporters and centers of Avodah Zarah should look like, what you should do when you confront Avodah Zarah. So a lot of that is in this Parsha. And again, I don't think it's a, um, just a coincidence, and I don't think it's a mistake um, the concept of the centrality of Yerushalayim, as hopefully we'll demonstrate, has a lot to do with the discussion about Avodah Zarah and how to treat Avodah Zarah. You could right now, imagine if you could, what that might be, but Ezra Hashem, we'll get back to it before the end. Okay? 
Now that we've gone through all that introduction, let us now get to the different components of the Parsha. And then we're going to come back and address some important questions. And those questions will have to do, one, with the, introdu- the, the beginning of Parsha Sra'eh. There's an important question that we have to ask. Um, and then we're going to focus on two more questions. Really, so mainly three questions we'll focus on today. So let's look at the different components of the Parsha. And as we look at the components, I'm going to throw those questions at you. So just get ready. So I have seven sections to the Parsha. The beginning is just the general re'eh. See the bracha and the klala that I'm placing before you today. This, if you look in Rashi, some of them have point this out, and really you would know just from the psukim, um, the bracha and the klala, which Moshe Rabbeinu is now telling them, is going to happen, or when, when, when eventually they go into Eretz Yisrael, they're going to have to all line up, um, half of them on Har Eval, half of them on Har Grizim. This takes place in Sefer Yehoshua, and this discussion about Harival Hargrizim is going to be elaborated on in Parshas Kisavo. So, if you, uh, we're probably most of the listeners, if you're familiar at all with this with this scene of the Bnei Israel, half of them standing on Harival, half of them standing on Hargrizim, and they're going to renew the covenant. They're going to have a new covenant where some mitzvahs are going to be mentioned. They're going to have to say Amen. We're probably not familiar with it necessarily from Sefer Yoshua, and most probably you're not familiar with it from Parshas Re'eh. You're more likely familiar with it from Parshas Kisavo, and that's where it's elaborated on. So this is the introduction to that. So if that's true, why are we talking about this covenant at Harival Hargrizim? The blessings are going to be at Harival. Sorry, other way around. Blessings are going to be at Hargrizim. The curses are going to be at Harival. Why are we talking about that now? if it's not even happening in, for another three weeks, right? We have a Shoftim Kiseite Kisavo. So why are we talking about that covenant now? So we'll have to try to address that question as we come back around. So just um, keep that question in mind. But Moshe Rabbeinu nonetheless introduces this covenant. Then in section two, Moshe Rabbeinu commands them to destroy the Avodah and all of the Avodah centers in Eretz Yisrael. So the Matsevos, the, Asher, the, the Asheros, the trees of Avodah the monuments of Avodah There is a there is a no tolerance policy. There no, no there's there's no you know um, live and let live um, policy when it comes to Avodah and that's, that's, you know, this is uh, apparently one of those boundaries. You know, God has many of them, and this is one of them, and this is one of the most sensitive boundaries. Uh, maybe a separate discussion as to why we're so strict here, but, um, you know, it, it, at first glance, it's obvious enough. Avodah Zarah is anti-God, or it's everything is God, and, you know, the, 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 the idea here is that you're not worshiping God if you're worshiping Avodah Zarah. So again, no tolerance policy on Avodazara. Everything gets destroyed. Fine. Section three. We have the rules of slaughtered animals. We have here a lot of repeated laws from Parshas Achremos, if you might recall, way back when in Sefer Vayikra. But we talk about here how Karbanos have to be in Eretz Yisrael, no Bamos. We talk a little bit about what are the rules for consuming meat, different rules as they pertain to Shechita, the Isser of Achilas Adam, you can't consume blood. You have the mitzvah of Kisoi Hadam, covering the blood. So why exactly are we talking about Karbanos here? So 
you know, the Rambam might tell you, and it's because Karbanos, from their inception, the whole point says the Rambam, the mitzvah, at least, of Karbanos, is to counteract Avodazara. Now, we know this is a subject of big debate between the Rambam and the Ramban. We've spoken about it in the past. The Ramban tries to bring Rios that, look, Adam... Kai and Hevel, they all brought Karbanos, Noach brought Karbanos, all Kodem Matan Torah. In fact, they're not just Kodem Matan Torah, but some of these individuals, Kodem Avodazara. Right? Adam, Kai, and Hevel all preceded Avodazara. So why are they bringing Karbanos? It sounds like Karbanos is not just a counteract Avodazara. Now, there might be ways out for the Rambam. You can explain that. Maybe after Matan Torah, there didn't have to be Karbanos um, because really it was an idolatrous, it was as popularly. Um, idolatrous practice and now but for, for the purpose of counteracting it that's why Hashem instituted Karbanos whatever you want to say that's what the Rambam might tell you Rashi would tell you um, if you, if you look, there's a Rashi that talks about how this is playing off of the fact that Hashem had just told him you can't make Bamos Yerushalayim is Hashem's center of the world and because of that you know you have um, so, so now we're um, we're, um, we're Focusing on that point that Yerushalayim is the center of Hashem's world, and that's where Karbanos must be offered, right? And this is again to somehow counteract Avodazara. So, what we're going to see is the fact that Yerushalayim is the center is really an important subject that we also have to address because uh, a very fundamental question you can ask on the whole concept of Yerushalayim, the whole concept of the Beis Hamikdash, the whole concept of of, of the Isser against using Bamos is why, in fact, does there have to be a center? Right? Why um, isn't Hashem the master and the king of the entire universe, the entire world? So if that's true, you should technically and theoretically be able to offer a carbon anywhere because Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere, as Uncle Moshe taught us. So if all of that is true, so then, why are you know why, why is there this special rule that um, oh you know here in Yerushalayim for example we gotta destroy all the Avodazara centers maybe we should destroy Avodazara everywhere right it, you know it, it, it's God's world the entire world is His world and if the entire world is His world we should get rid of Avodazara centers everywhere uh, you know we should just go around just destroy everything and we should and we in the same vein we should be able to offer Karbanos everywhere anywhere and everywhere. So we'll have to come back to this question. Um, so just keep that on the back burner as well. Okay? Then the next section we have what I refer to in section 4 as defense against idolatry. We have a lot of different isurim, new isurim that we haven't heard before, that all seem to be about the response to Avodah Not just the Avodah that we're going to encounter in the land that's sitting there waiting for us to, to, to destroy it, but there are other tests that might be thrown our way. So, for example, Hashem says, don't seek out the idolatrous practices of the pagan nations. Right? I already told you to destroy those things, and then I told you how to properly serve me. Right? So this is the flow so far. Right? You're going to go into Israel. I'm putting a brach on a call before you. Okay? You're going to see a lot of Avodah Zarah. Destroy all of it. Then you're going to think, okay, how do I serve Hashem? Well, don't do it on Obama. Do it in your Shalayim, and here are all the rules of Karbanos. And you might be thinking, what about what everyone else is doing, or what everyone else had been doing? So Hashem says, don't seek out those idolatrous practices of the pagan nations. Do not dare to add or subtract anything from the Torah. So again, doing everything that's straight in God's eyes. And then Hashem says, there might be a test. I'm warning you now, it's coming. 
the test of the false prophet or the or the dreamer who's telling you that um, you know he's telling you in my name that there's another god that you should be serving, and there or that there's some you know that, that, that there's something to change about the Torah. Right? Hashem is telling you, I'm, I'm putting this in front of you, know that I'm doing it. And really it's a test to see if anyone among you really loves me. Is there Ahava, like we spoke about a couple of weeks ago? So, and this is, a, so Hashem warns us right here in the Torah, I'm going to send you that kind of a test. The Torah here also talks about a mesis, a missionizer, a missionary. They're going to try to, you know, it might even be your own brother who's going to try to convince you to serve other gods that you have not known up until now. Don't listen. In fact, you have to kill him. A lot of strict rules about the Mesis. Again, a zero-tolerance policy. And then we have the, ma- the, you know, the, the macro version, the Ir Hanidachas. If you have an entire city in Yerushalayim, an entire city of people that, that worship Avodah Zarah, so that entire city has to be destroyed. So again, we're very, very strict over here. All of these are the defenses um, against Avodah Zarah. Right? When you go into the land, you're supposed to serve me the right way, the way I tell you to, and don't try um, to give any leeway to these other things. Then the section um, that comes after, which I have a section 5, um, I titled, Banim Atem Hashem, which means you are children to Hashem, which is what Moshe Rabbeinu tells them. And therefore, and right, this might be to counteract what we just said about the Avodah Zarah, but he says, therefore, you cannot cut yourself or make bald spots in mourning for the dead. Why this is relevant, we'll have to try to address that. And Moshe Rabbeinu continues to bolster the point somehow by saying, you're an Am Kodesh, you're Hashem's Am Segula, therefore don't do these things. So the Balatirim and the Ramban, in fact, do make connections to Avodah Zarah. Apparently in ancient times, they would actually um, cut themselves and mourn for the Avodah Zarah. We're talking about destroying the Avodah Zarah, and this is not something, as Banim Atem Hashem, when you're Hashem's kids, we don't mourn, for these things, because God can never be destroyed, only Avodah can be destroyed. We don't copy these practices. We never ever lose hope because we are Hashem's Am Segula. We don't have to do what the nations of the world do by 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 uh, cutting themselves every time their idol gets destroyed. Rav Hirsch has a separate connection, which talks. So, you know, this has to do with the Masis or the Navi that you killed because he was trying to convince you to do Avodah Zara. So. The, um, the Rav Hirsch just points out how the Chumash specifies that this might even be your loved one. Right? Maybe, you, maybe you were inspired to have a lot of respect for the Navi, because maybe you knew him as a Talmud Chacham up until the point that you had, to, um, you had the charge of killing him. And it might be your loved one. And then, what you, what do you, then you have this problem, right? Because you have your interpersonal relationships versus your relationship with God. And you might feel this remorse. I might need to mourn him because you know, I really respected him or I really loved him. And I might want to cut myself or, or, or tear bald spots um, because um, of what, what we have to do. So we say, Once you are kids to Hashem, your children to Hashem, that relationship comes above all else. Fine. So that's the section of Then section six, we have uh, another issue that we have to address. And this is um, where we get to the territory of what I've often referred to in the past as a miscellaneous mitzvah mishkababel. Um, in Re'eh, it's not as heavy as it is in other parshias, like, for example, what we're going to see in a couple of weeks in Parshas Kiseitse, or like what we've seen in the past in Parshas Mishpatim or in Parshas Kedoshim, where you have a lot of mitzvahs 
um, that seem to be miscellaneous and you're trying to figure out what the connection is. In the past, we've spoken about structure within partios and we've addressed this question. So again, not as heavy here, but you do have it a little bit in partios for A and we have to try to understand what these mitzvahs are doing here. But here in section six, we have some, we have rules about kashros, nevela, basar b'chalav, meiser, you know, meiser sheni, so I gave this section a general title, Rules Governing Food and Assets. That, that kind of wraps everything up really nicely. So we have, again, Kashrus, the Isser Nevela, Isser Basar Bechalov. We have the rule of Meiser Shani. The other kinds of Meiser are referenced here, but mainly we're focusing on Meiser, Meiser Shani. The Ibn Ezra um, says the connection between this and everything we've discussed until now is, again, you know, other kinds of food limitations. You can't just do whatever you want with all of your food. So, for example, Meiser Shani has to be eaten in your shalim. Just like, you know, you can't eat whatever you want in terms of kashras. So even the way you eat your food, it's not so, you know, clear how you, um, you know, that, that you can just do whatever you want. The Chumash here also talks about Shemitas Ksafim or loans, um, and, and it talks about tzedakah or charity. We have rules governing slavery, kedushas b'chor, and the Ibn Ezra, if you look throughout, the Ibn Ezra works hard to try to connect all the topics, but basically the same focus is the focus on Hashem's limitations on our assets, what we're allowed to do with them, what we're not allowed to do with them, and, um, and going back to, uh, you know, um, to Meiser, Shemitah, Kashras, all these things are connected in that way. Finally, section seven, we come back to Aliyah Laregel. And with Aliyah Laregel, we are returning to the theme of Yerushalayim and Hashem's special center. And here, you know, um, like Avoda, Meiser, and Bechor, Aliyah Laregel, in the same way, it continues to remind us about that centrality of Yerushalayim. So that takes us through the topics. Let's just list them really quickly once again. We have, again, the general re'eh, number one is the general re'eh, see the brachon klala, the intro to Harivel Hargrizim. We have, two, destroying the Avodah and all Avodah centers. Three, the rules regarding um, slaughtered animals and carbonos, things like that, how to eat them, fine. Section four, we have the defense against idolatry, so not copying the nations, the test of the false prophet and the dreamer, the mesis, iranidachas, fine. Section five, we have banim atem Hashem. Um, section six, we have the rules governing food and assets. And um, then seven, we have the Aliyah Laregel. Okay, so let's start to address some of our questions. So one question that we raised has to do with the fact that we seem to be um, learning about a concept that's really three weeks premature. Right, This entire covenant is not going to take place till we enter the land. And it's not even going to be discussed at length until Kisabo. Why are we talking about it now? Now, I didn't see the Mepharshim really address this question, but we have to make some kind of an inference here if they're not bothered by the question. You could suggest, perhaps, that what, the reason we're talking about it now, the idea that we have to, I guess, assume is that apparently this is all one conversation. Right, meaning if if we're talking about looking towards the future, we're no longer looking at the history, but we're looking at the future. So all of this and everything that we're speaking about from now until Kisavo is apparently all part and parcel of the same conversation. What that does is that that, that kind of starts to introduce us to what we're going to be talking about in Shoftim and in Kiseitse up until we get to the elaboration on Har Grizim, Har Eval in Parshish Kisavo. Apparently, this is all one unit. It's three Parshios worth of a unit. 
and that, that, that could be okay. But what that means is now we have to do some work as we are, uh, you know, as we continue these partios. So we're in Re'eh. There's going to be Shoftim, Kiseitze, and then Kisavo. We'll have to think about, okay, apparently this is all one unit. This is all an introduction somehow to the, the future covenant at Har Grizim and Harival. And if so, what is the point? You know, well, what should we be talking about here? And one thing that we see is that there are a lot of mitzvos between now and Kisabo. So a, a very basic idea is the, the, the bracha and the klala that Hashem is, or that Moshe is placing before the Bnei Israel at this time. This is all part of that covenant. Many mitzvos. That is what the covenant is about. So that's something to think about as we move forward. Now, in, in that vein, let us also move on to the next question which we said has to do with the centrality of Yerushalayim, right? Parshas A centralizes Yerushalayim, Eretz Yisrael, with various mitzvos, such as the Isser against Bamos, the mitzvah of Shemitah, the mitzvah of Meiser Sheni, Ali Regel. So obviously we know, we know this from the time we're little, that there is extra Kedusha in Eretz Yisrael, and even more in Yerushalayim. But once again, the question is why that is. If we know that, once again, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, and Hashem is truly everywhere. So then why would we sort of limit our sensitivity to Hashem's presence to only certain locations? Right, this came up a little bit in Parshas Achremos, you might recall, where we focused on the Kodesh HaKadoshim, right? Yom Kippur is coming. So or really um, Elul is coming, which means Yom Kippur is coming. Right? So um, we focus on the Kodesh HaKadoshim, we focus on the Beis HaMikdash, the Kohen Gadol doing everything in that holy, you know, the holiest place, the holiest time, the holiest person. You know, why, why do we have all of these holiest? You know, Hashem is everywhere, right? Like, this, is, is this not true? Or, you know, is our childhood a lie? So why would we have Shemitah, which says, oh, only Eretz Yisrael. I thought Hashem is the master of the world. Isn't Shemitah testifying that Hashem is the master of the world? Something that we addressed in Parshas Bahar? So why not everywhere? And the answer to this question is very, very important. It's also going to help us understand the contrast between Avodas Hashem and Avodah Zarah. Very, very closely. Listen up. Why no Bamos? Why can't I serve Hashem anywhere and everywhere? And you know, what's the relevance of Avodah Zarah? If I, do a, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I serve Hashem on a Bama, that means I'm going to do Avodah Zarah? And isn't Hashem the king everywhere? So if he is, why not serve Hashem everywhere? So if you will allow me to incorporate a little bit of politics just for the sake of a mushal. Um, the, the idea is, if it's everything, then it's nothing. And what do we mean? Even though it may be true, but um, in practice, it doesn't always work that way. Now, sometimes it's not even not true. So what do I mean? So the example I'll give is what you often hear, um, the, the accusation that something is racist. And sometimes it seems that there's nothing you can do that's not racist. Everything is racist. And the big problem with that is that there is real racism that exists. And if we just keep on crying wolf, we say that, you know, this is racism, that's racism. If everything is racism, so then, um, then nothing is racism. The, the accusation um, will cease to hold any gravity. Now, however you, feel, however you feel politically about that, and whatever you fear politically about that... Um, that's not my point right now. My point right now is, yes, Hashem actually is everywhere. The problem is that if Hashem is treated 
as though he is everywhere. If we treat every makom as the holiest makom, that that's where Hashem is, then what's ultimately going to happen is because we will not be able to handle it, we will cease to actually treat anywhere as though Hashem is there. We're not going to view the world as though Hashem is in the world. Right, so, and, and, and this is true, you know, like, oh, is Hashem only in the shul? Or we talk a certain way in the shul, but you should also talk nicely outside shul. You shouldn't talk about disgusting topics anywhere. And the answer is, it's true. But we have certain times where, and certain places where we have higher God consciousness. Because if we don't have those moments and places of higher God consciousness, then we're not going to have them at all. Right, we have the holiness in time as well. We have a Beis HaMikdash in time, Shabbos. Why don't we have Shabbos? Every day. And guess what? But Ezra Hashem, there will be a day, Yom Shekulo Shabbos. But we don't have that right now. In the world that we live in, it's not sustainable. But Ezra Hashem, we will get there. But why don't we have Yom Kippur every day? Right? Isn't Yom Kippur the ideal of Yiddishkeit, the ideal of Jewish living, the ideal of serving Hashem? You might argue yes or no, but let's say we're arguing yes. Why don't we do it every day? The answer is because it's not sustainable. So why do we have it at all? The answer is we have these centers in time and in space that we're able to use as our burst of inspiration that hopefully will trickle down to the rest of our year and the rest of, our, the, rest of the areas of our lives. Yes, ideally we would love to be able to have that God consciousness everywhere. And one day, Be'ezra Hashem, we will. But in the meantime, we have to have special centers where we say this is where Hashem's Shekhinah is because not only is it that the Shekhinah has higher concentration there, but if we don't have such a, such a reality, then we're never going to be able to, you know, to, to experience it. And this is, what, this is what the big problem is with Bamos and the big problem with Avodazara. Besides for the fact that Avodazara is just not serving Hashem, but the general concept of paganism states that everything could be God. Right? God is here, God is there. Right? Um, not to be mistaken, Chas Vashalom, with the Hasidic concept of Hashem being everywhere. But the, the, the reason why Misnagdim are very wary about that concept is because it has a resemblance of Avodah concepts, which basically states that you know, there's God in the trees, and there's God in the sun, and, or God, God is the sun, or God is the moon. And again, the problem is that once everything becomes God, and it's something we spoke about in the past, the, the real problem with paganism, if everything is God, then nothing will be God. God will cease to exist. Why? Because if it's everything, it's nothing. And when you boil down Avodah to its roots, the whole point is I rather serve my own way. I have a, you know, we, we cr- try to create our own visual aids, we make our own rules, and when we make our own rules, we can change our own rules, and we can nullify our own rules. Hashem says, don't subtract or add anything to my rules for this reason. So, in this way, Yerushalayim, which is also called Sion, the word Sion means a looking point. Or talk about Re'eh, seeing. Sion means something that you could point at. We have moments in time and we have places in the world where we're able to look at it and point to it and say, Hashem is there. We're yearning for a time where but right now we have to look at isolated points. And therefore we have a looking point. Which means that the Torah emanates from Tzion. Yes, we want Hashem's presence to be everywhere. That's what Shemitah teaches us. Hashem's presence is everywhere, should be everywhere. But in order for it to be everywhere, there has to be a central point from which it emanates. Therefore, destroy all of the Avodah centers in Yerushalayim. We cannot have anything contaminating that center point, that looking point of Yerushalayim. That is the center where God is. That's what we're seeing here in Parshas Re'eh. And you might be wondering, okay, well, that will explain some of the Eretz Yisrael 
and Yerushalayim-centered mitzvos and the Avodah mitzvos that are in the parsha. But what about the other things, like Kashras and Nevela and Basrachalov and Meiser, and rules regarding slavery? What are these doing here? These mitzvos are not really mitzvos atulios ba'aretz. They're not um, dependent on your presence in Eretz Yisrael. So what, what's their point? Going back to what the Ibn Ezra was saying about how these are all wrapped up in a common theme of um, Hashem's um, governance and His sovereignty over our food and our assets. The point that we're talking about now, which is also a point that we addressed in Achremos, right? Achremos Kedoshim. We said Achremos talks about holy places. Kedoshim talks about being holy people. That trickle-down effect, right? So that trickle-down effect is also here. That the whole point that we keep on getting at is, yes, Hashem's presence should be everywhere, and it is everywhere, but we have to have central locations to see that emanation of Hashem's presence. Well, guess what? There are many mitzvos that help us with the trickle-down effect. Kashros is something that, does, that, that indeed affects us no matter where we are. The rules about our assets, giving nicer. Hashem is in charge of all of these things, right? So it's not, so it's a beautiful, so Re'eh is a beautiful tapestry of a combination of mitzvos that are focusing on Yerushalayim as the center point, and then focusing on how living a life that's governed by Hashem's Ratzon is really everywhere. And there's no contradiction. In fact, they complement each other beautifully. Hashem's in charge of the world means Hashem has a special location, and we point to that location, and hopefully we get inspired and learn that Hashem is in control everywhere. And indeed, Hashem is in control everywhere, which means whatever I eat, how I eat, what I do with my assets, it's not in my control, it's in Hashem's control. I have to make a choice based on that governance. That is what Parshas Re'eh is about. And Ezra Hashem, as we move forward, once again, we have our work cut out for us for Parshas Shoftim. We're learning about a bunch of new mitzvahs now. And as we do, we have to try to see what is this part of Moshe Rabbeinu's speech about as we now continue to look now towards the future, the destiny of Kalal Yisrael, and we'll see what exactly that means going forward. But in the meantime, have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos, and I thank you for joining us here at the database.